Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 414 of the Juice Box Podcast. On today's show, Shirley, who is a type 1 herself, also works in the healthcare industry, helping people with type 1 diabetes in South Africa. We'll find out about Shirley, her type 1, and what care looks like in South Africa. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box Podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. I'm delighted by your accent. We're going to have a great time. Really? <laughs> this is going to be the highlight it of makes my day. Me laugh. <laughs> well, you don't hear yourself, right? You sound, you just think I sound I fine. sound, yeah, no, I sound normal. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. This episode is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. And you can find out more about that amazing meter at contournext.com forward slash juicebox. And don't forget to add your name to the T1D Exchange at t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Hi there, my name is Shirley. I am a South African. I live in Durban and I'm a type 1 diabetic. I've been diabetic for 17 years. 17? Yes. Wow. How old are you now? I'm sorry. I am 37. Oh, I just did the math and I know how old you were when you were diagnosed. Yes, I was older, 20 years. <laughs> 20. Were you in school at that time or were you finished? I was finished school. I was in university. So I was in the second year of university. Big surprise, far from home? Uh, not too far from home. I went to university. I was about 45 minutes from home. So I didn't stay at home, but yeah, not too far. And when you're diagnosed, what's the, is it classic signs or did you have a strange finding? Um, yeah, to be honest, I had all the classic signs, but kind of didn't really even think I would be diabetic. So I didn't think about it at all. Um, but yeah, like when I look back on it, pretty much all the classic, all the classic signs. Yeah. Did you go to, uh, like a physician on campus or did you tell your parents and go to a private position? How did you handle that? Uh, no, I went to my private um, GP, so like our general practitioner's family doctor. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I came home and went there, but I, I went about two weeks into having all the symptoms. Yeah. South Africa is interesting because living in America, the only thing I could tell you about South Africa is that Charlize Theron is from there. True. That, that is yes. literally my only <laughs> pull for that at all. Um I, I'm interested in in understanding a little more about the breakdown of the country. Is it like, is Africa like three different places 
on one continent or how does it, how do you feel when you when, if you had to describe it to me how would you describe the whole continent to me so the whole continent i mean we're like south africa is like the bottom of the continent like the southernmost tip mm-hmm. and i mean there's plenty other african countries on the continent we're just one of them um yeah so i mean i like personally haven't traveled to any other african countries but south africa yeah we we like the southernmost tip of Africa. Which is, it's, you know, not that it's crazy that there are countries within a continent, but you understand the naming system throws me off <laughs> because, <laughs> because there's Africa. Like, it would be like if, if I lived in South North America. That's how it feels to me. And, yeah, okay, right? I suppose, yeah. Yeah, you suppose. You're like, shut up, read a book. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean... Because I suppose you guys, yeah, you're, con- I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not very good with geography, so. No, and, and I don't want to turn this into a geography lesson either. I just want to, you know, kind of suss it out for people listening that South Africa is unto itself its own place. It's it's just the. Yes. Right. And. Yeah, its own country, just part of Africa. Right, right. And there are a ton of countries within Africa that, and it's a huge continent. It really is. Yes. I've now yes, it is. come to believe the map might not be correct. Um, scale wise, when you look at it, it's possible that land masses are much larger and smaller than I think they are. So I, I try not to wrap my head around that too much, uh, unless that's wrong. <laughs> but anyway, so you're off at school, diagnosed, you come home to your parents, they take you to your GP, and it's 20 years ago. So, or excuse me, 17 years ago. What's management like, and is the technology? much different in South Africa than I would find in America or other places? Um, okay. Well, I suppose like on diagnosis, I, w- I started on insulin pens and just your normal basic glucometer. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been on an insulin pump for about nine years now. And then I started a CGM end of last year, so about six to eight months on a CGM. So we have technology. I mean, we have stuff available, but it's not easily accessible due to funding. Um, yeah. So most people don't access technology as much as you see in other countries just due to funding. Um, privately, our, what we call our medical aids, they don't actually fund technology. You have to fight quite hard to get it funded. And then in our um, public health system, you can barely even get a glucometer. So there's no technology in the public health system. So for a person living there that's not financially able to just run out and buy something for cash and maybe is on the lower part of the of the spectrum, they maybe can't even get a glucometer. Yes. So I work in public health. So I work as a dietitian in a yeah in our public health setting, mm-hmm. and yeah, access for diabetics in that setting is it's like it's shocking to be very honest. Yeah. So it's very difficult to access a glucometer if they do get one. There's only one type that you can use because they only will provide strips for one type of glucometer. Okay. And if they get that, they get a maximum of 50 strips a month, which really is not helpful to anybody. So, yeah. That's really something. Um, how do those people manage then? You're taking me back to uh, a number of years ago, I, I, I spoke in the Dominican Republic. 
And um, when I was when I was asked to come down and talk, they you know they said to me like, can you you know take what you do and bring it down here and translate it for people who are living you know at the poverty line and you know and I was like yeah yeah sure so I put this whole kind of I don't know talk together where I I was yeah and then I got there and saw what they meant by poverty and I realized that even what I was saying didn't imagine what was actually going on um you know 50 strips like what do I do with 50 strips take really good care of myself like seven days a month or yeah so I mean like so 50 strips equates maybe to one maximum two tests a day. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. So if you work it out um, or they could do paired testing over certain periods of time. Um, but I mean, to be honest, so like what I listen to on, listen to on your podcast, it would be very difficult to translate that back to my patients that I see as a dietitian. Um, yeah, so in our public health system, there's also like really no diabetic education at all. So they see a doctor, they get given something, whether they type two, they get put onto medication. If they type one, they might go to a higher level hospital for if they're, especially if they're a child, and they'll have some sort of education there and they'll have insulin. And then, yeah, so, and yeah, there's just the lack of education is the biggest, I mean, it's, I think, a bigger problem than even getting the 50 test strips because most of the patients we interact with, they don't really actually even understand what they have or what diabetes is or what's happening inside their bodies. So for them to control their diabetes, is it's very difficult. Well, okay. So let's talk about that for a little while. Is, is it like that for other disease states or is diabetes particularly ignored? Um, so, I mean, so like from South Africa, so we do have a high rate of HIV um, positive patients. Mm-hmm. They have a different sort of access. I mean, they do have access to medications and then they go through like a sort of simple education process as well before they are initiated onto their ARVs. So there's a lot of focus in our country on things like HIV and TB because we have a high population group that are both HIV positive and TB. So it does kind of fall by the wayside. There's also quite a big focus like on maternal health, um, things like breastfeeding, where there are like programs in place. But yeah, I do like personally for me, I find diabetes is sort of neglected. Um, I also find patients are often blamed because they're uncontrolled. They've got all these complications, but nobody ever took the time to actually educate them and help them to control their diabetes. So from an institutional perspective, not from where you work, but from, I guess, government down, is the idea people get sick and that's it, they're lost? And then the rest Um, of their life is just dying faster than they would have? I just think there's, yeah, I mean, I just think there's just a lack of understanding. There's just a lack of, yeah, I mean, I think there needs to be some sort of definite program put into place to help with it. Um, It's not like necessarily that everyone's going to be dying, but they would probably have a shorter lifespan due to complications if they do become diabetic. Right. Okay. I think I have my head 
wrapped around this pretty well. Um, and so there's no educa- the education piece is probably first if you stop and, and think about it. Even people who are diagnosed here um, who don't know the first thing about type 1 or diabetes in general, they can run back to the internet and find out. But that's not lacking in South Africa, right? People could go online and learn. Is there just no person uh, or entity there with a voice that they can go to? No, we do have organizations. So, I mean, we have uh, like a Diabetes South Africa. Um, there's a few different organizations. So, I mean, there are resources. People could go onto the internet to learn for themselves. But also a lot of our patients can't, I mean, they may not be financially able to access internet because mm-hmm. you've got to pay for it. And also sometimes literacy and education levels are low. So, yeah, they may not really take that initiative to access education because it's just not a priority i see i suppose and then their bodies become accustomed to the higher blood sugars and they don't feel badly at first and then they don't know they're really in trouble until they are and then that that whole cycle begins yeah so i mean for me like in my institution i'm seeing mainly older like more type 2 diabetics we do have like a sort of an age group of a younger adults type 1 diabetics um but pediatrics, so the the younger children, so under the age of sixteen, they will go up to a higher, like a tertiary facility. Mm-hmm. So I don't see a lot of um, young type ones, but we are, we do deal more with our type two diabetics and just the common, mostly obese, high blood pressure, diabetes, often high cholesterol. So it's like a whole host of problems that they already have. Yeah, so we we deal mainly with our top two diabetics, I suppose, in my setting. Okay. When you do that, just let's talk about the type two for a second. Where do you start when you're trying to help them? Like where's, what's step one? Yeah, it's very hard. I mean, we try and give them sort of a brief explanation on like what diabetes is, what's happening, you know, why they need to see a dietitian. Okay. But like, for, for me, like they get referred to us as a dietitian, but they've had no prior education. So the prior education, if they had that, they might see the value of a dietitian. But without having that, I don't always. There's not always that link between the value of seeing a dietitian because they don't really understand why they need to be there. Um, so I think it's more starting off with just brief explanations on what diabetes is, what's happening inside their body, why our food is important, how it works inside the body. And then giving, we, I mean, we really do give basic dietary information at the level we are working with. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't do things like carb counting, et cetera, unless I have a more motivated patient who has some prior knowledge and wants that extra information. But a lot of them, it's very basic basic dietary information, small changes that we can make to try and um, help them out. Do you see, do people return for follow? And by the way, do you have a Star Wars droid in your home? That's, a, there's a very like electronic sound that, that, what is that? Is that oh, C-3PO? Oh, sorry, I think it's my phone. Oh, okay. switch it on to silent, sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry. I was like, she's got a <laughs> robot. She's pretending that it's not great, but she has one now. Um my my question was is do do people continue to come back for help or do you see them once and then they disappear and then my follow up to that is how many people do you think you get through to 
in a way that changes their thinking and focuses them on what they need to do? And how many people are just trying to get by? Um, in terms of follow-up, they don't always have follow-up with us. It, it really depends on the dietitian that sees them, if they feel necessary for a follow-up. Sometimes it's once-off counseling and then like depending if the doctors see them, when the doctors see them again, if the blood sugars are still high because it's always blamed on their diet, mm -hmm. they may be re-referred to us. Um, but yeah, that's just dependent on who's seeing them, what the situation is. So they may or may not have follow up with us. And then, yeah, in terms of getting through to the patients, I mean, there's plenty that you do get through to. I can't really put a number to it. There's plenty that, you'll see a little light bulb click. Um, and I mean, I'm not saying they're going to have perfect HbA1Cs or results, but it might help them in some way. Sure. So your days mostly end with you feeling like you, you've Sorry? done something. You, your days end and you feel like you've, you've accomplished something for people mostly. Some days. Yeah. Some days not. <laughs> Jeez. I know, it's we be. also see, so that, I mean, I think in the States, it's very different for dietitians. They kind of specialize in certain areas. So we don't specialize. We literally go to work and see anything that walks through the door. And we spend time in the wards as well. So we do both in and out patients. So, I mean, I can have a day seeing diabetic patients, overweight, renal. It really just depends what comes to us on that day. So my sole focus is not only diabetes. Right. Well, how did you, so you said you have an insulin pump. How did you find your way to it? Do you have some sort of assistance or coverage or the finances to be able to do it? As a dietitian? No, I just mean as a, as a type one, like when you said you have an insulin pump is I'm trying to understand, like here people have insurance or don't have insurance. Some people's oh, insurance okay. is, so, yeah. So basically in our country, you we, we have private health care, which you can pay for, or if you cannot afford to pay for private health care or choose not to, then you access um, public health care. Um, so with my job, they do subsidize some of um, my private health care coverage. Um, so like you guys have medical insurance, we call it medical aid. I suppose it's this, it's similar, but it is different. Okay. Um, yeah, so from my brief understanding of how yours guys works. I think it's linked more to who you work for and what kind of insurance they offer. Yeah. So private insurance you, you're, you get through your employer. Normally you can buy it in cash, but most people get it through their employer. Their employer subsidizes some of the cost and you pay the rest. I don't know what people pay in general. Um, I do know what ours is and it's, you know, for four people, I think we probably pay, I'm guessing here, but I bet you it's about $6,000 a year for okay, the four so, of us. Yeah, so as it's, it's similar. The medical aid is a similar concept. Um, employers don't have to subsidize it. I just do get subsidized. Um, and because I'm subsidized, I use the medical aid that they recommend. Mm -hmm. But if I do have the choice to use any medical aid I want, I can use any one I want, but they will only subsidize the one that they recommend. And then within the medical aid, there's like different options. So you can pay for different sorts of coverage. Um, I pay about five and a half thousand rand a month. So I don't know what that equates to in a year. 
Okay. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so monthly I pay about five and a half thousand rand. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you while I figure out how much a rand is worth. Um, it's not worth very much at the moment. <laughs> but what I was well, on say, our side. <laughs> what I was going to say is that um, is that aside from the money that we pay out of you know our check every month that comes from the company that gets held back for the insurance. The first $3,000 we spend on healthcare a year is what they call out of pocket. We have to pay that too. So I guess if okay. I'm being honest, if nothing goes oddly wrong in a year. Gvoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages 2 and above. Not only is Gvoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. People with diabetes need an accurate and reliable blood glucose meter. It's a staple of your care. And the contour next one is is easily the most accurate, easy to use, easy to handle meter that my daughter has ever used. It's small, but not too small. Has a bright light for nighttime checks. And of course the test strips allow you a second chance. So if you should not get quite enough of your blood sample and need a little more, you can go right back and get it without messing up the accuracy of the test. It's very handy, super easy to hold, easy to use, fits well on your pocket or your purse or wherever you carry your supplies. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Go there, find out more about the Contour Next One meter and a host of other things that Contour has for you. There's test strip programs and you may even be eligible for a free meter. This website is worth your time to pick around. For many people, the Contour Next One meter is cheaper when bought with cash than when it's purchased through insurance. You should look into that too, and you can do that right at the link. Don't let your blood glucose meter be that thing that the doctor gave you because they had one in a drawer or a salesperson left one in their closet. Get a good one, get an accurate one, get one that's a pleasure to use. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. The T1D Exchange is looking for type 1 adults and type 1 caregivers who are U.S. residents to participate in a quick survey that can be completed in just a few minutes from your phone or computer. After you finish the questions, they are simple. I did them in about seven minutes. You will be contacted annually to update your information and to be asked further questions. This is 100% anonymous, HIPAA compliant, and does not require you to ever see a doctor or go to a remote site. This is your chance to add to type 1 diabetes research right there from your sofa. Super easy to do. Go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box and click on join our registry now. After that, simply complete the survey. Past participants like you have helped to bring increased coverage for test strips, Medicare coverage for CGMs, and changes to the ADA guidelines for pediatric A1C goals. It's exciting to imagine what your participation may lead to. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. There are links to all of the sponsors right there in your podcast player show notes or at juiceboxpodcast.com.
when you click on the links, you're supporting the show. Thank you very much. And I want to get you back to Shirley now. I think we're all grateful that I haven't made any Shirley Shirley jokes so far. And let me just give you a little teaser right now. I'm not going to. I was pretty proud of myself, as you may imagine. Um, and it's pretty co- a regular year. It must cost us about nine thousand dollars in cash to yeah. um, to have health care. And for context, that is a hundred and fifty two thousand one hundred and twenty rand. <laughs> yeah. So our like our medical aid works differently. So like the medical aid I'm on, I'm on the highest option. And then it's within the option, they break down. So you have like in-hospital care and they pay X amount for different things. And then you're out of hospital care, like you'll have a chronic benefit. Mm-hmm. I have like an optometry benefit. Um, so paying out of pocket more comes for things that they don't cover. So with your diabetes under your chronic, all the medical aids will have what that we call a chronic disease list where they cover certain chronic illnesses. Um, and within those chronic illnesses, they have what are called prescribed minimum benefits. And those prescribed minimum benefits are what they have to cover. So for example, for diabetes, for type one, they have to cover my insulin and my test strips. And then they'll also have a um, essential drug list and specific insulins and etc will be covered if you go for insulin that's maybe not on that drug list then you'll probably have a co-payment and then in terms of insulin pumps cgms they are not readily covered at all there's no sort of um funding for them within the medical aid you have to try and fight for it if if they were um do people generally have cell phones to use as receivers for a cgm or would they need a receiver from the cgm no, there's access to cell phones. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm before. I'm just going to blurt this out before I keep moving. Just for context, uh, one U.S. dollar is just about seventeen. Yes. Rand. Okay. So just so people <laughs> have context. Um, so if I had a CGM, I might have a cell phone to use it with. And what kind of pump do you use? I'm sorry. So I currently use an AccuCheck pump. I don't think you guys have it in the states. It's mm-hmm. a um, it's a combo. It's called AccuCheck combo. Um, yeah, it's, well, my pump is now four years old, so it's just out of warranty. So hopefully I will be able to upgrade to a newer system. It's just basically a, the one I'm using is just a pump. It right. comes with a glucometer, which connects to the pump via Bluetooth. So I can control the pump with the glucometer as well. Okay. So you take a blood test and it shows up on your pump. And do you, do you have a CGM yourself? I'm sorry. So yes, I have I've started using a CGM at the end of last year. I'm using the at the moment the Medtronic Guardian Connect because it's what I was able to get funded via medical aid at okay. the time. Okay. Wow. All right. So how about insulin? Is everyone that we've talked about the the, the, the despite their financial situation, is insulin available to all of them who need it? So yes, insulin's available. So in private, um, well, let's start. So in our public healthcare system, it's your um, your older insulin, so like Actrophane, Protophane, the Humulin insulins. 
they really only have access to those. Mm-hmm. I think you guys, like, I know I've seen it termed as the insulin you get from Walmart. Okay. It's the same. It's the same. That so must feel good to hear it that way. Public health care system. <laughs> Jeez. Gotcha. All right. So what we consider here to be older insulin is, yeah. is what's common there um, and, 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 and available to everyone. In your private sector, I mean, you can access Lantus, Levomir, um, your Epidra, your Nova Rapids, your Humalog. Um, I think we have, is it, um, Traceba is available now mm-hmm. as well. Uh, yeah. So in private, you can access, I suppose, your newer insulins if you want to term them as that. Right. And what do you use? I'm using, in my pump, I use Nova Rapid. But I mean, since diagnosis, when I was diagnosed, I used Lantus and I used, I've used a P drive, used Humalog, and I've used Nova Rapid as my rapid acting. Um, and then, yeah, my longer acting, I've used Lantus when I was diagnosed. Okay. So, um, for your care, like, what are your, what are your goals? Um, A1C, is that how you measure? Do you measure more like your variability or up and down? Do you just shooting for what your finger stick says? How do you go day to day? So, yeah, I mean, I do use, um, HbA1c since I've had a, um, a CDM, I have been able to look more at like my time and range and those things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, my A1C has ranged, I think it generally was in the sixes. Last year, climbed up into the sevens. And then since I got the CGM, I have reduced it down to 5.8%. Um, but yeah, just by having all that extra data, it really does help to make changes and to just see what's happening throughout the day, night, etc. What changes did you make? Did you start with food or were you pretty comfortable with your diet and it was more about insulin? More about insulin. I mean, I don't really follow a diet, but I'm pretty comfortable with my so-called diet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I kind of eat all the food, but more just about insulin. Um, I've been able to just tweak my basils a little bit as well. So that's helped as well. And then, yeah, I do exercise quite a bit. I still kind of battle with that, with dropping low during exercise. Um, but yeah, also playing around with like your extended boluses on your pump, which you can see better when, when you've got a CGM, you can see how they affected. And then, um, yes, pre-bolusing, I've been much better at that as well since I've had a CGM. It's a big deal. That's probably where you got the point out of your A1C was the pre-bolus yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's So it's very interesting because I have the feeling that I have talking to you about what's happening in South Africa around care is how I feel when I'm doing the podcast. And I think this podcast really is reaching just people, you know, I mean, fully reaching just people who have the technology to take advantage of the data. And for everyone else listening, it probably feels um, like, I don't know, like something they can't, it's out of their reach. Um, and, and is there a way, since you've been listening, is there a way to take the the conversations on the podcast and what you've taken out of it and give it to people who don't have the technology? Or is it just not, is it not possible in your point, in your opinion? Um, I think it could be possible. It's a little bit difficult. So, I mean, like the patients I see, a lot of them also like English is not their first language. Mm-hmm. So 
sometimes the context might be difficult for them, like not having English as their first language. Um, yeah, and then I just, yeah, I think they also, so I mean, most of my patients, if they're on insulin, they're on set doses. Nobody teaches them to adjust doses or anything like that. And if they're not testing, it's very difficult for them to adjust doses and make changes in their doses themselves. So they're not really given that kind of freedom, which in the private setting, it's completely different because we do have, I mean, most of the patients in private setting will be doing things like carb counting. They'll be able to adjust their doses themselves. They have access to better sorts of insulin, but in the public setting, it's a little bit difficult I mean, I can give basic messages across, but not, yeah, there's not a lot of, I don't think a lot of the information would translate very easily for them. So many people there are managing type one in a way that is more reminiscent of 40 or 50 years ago in America. The idea of just, I'm going to get up in the morning, give myself some insulin, make sure I eat at the right times. If I get dizzy, I'll eat something like it's, it's that simple. Yeah, so, I mean, like in my patients that we see, so a lot of type 2s, there's also a big hesitance to put patients on insulin. So they'll be sitting with high HbA1Cs. They're on like the oral dose of metformin and maybe one other oral medication. Mm -hmm. And they probably really need insulin, but there's a resistance. The doctors don't seem to want to start the insulin. And then also patients resist it as well. So because a lot injected. of patients won't want the insulin. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Is there trouble with refrigeration? That that do people have that concern that they can't keep the insulin? Um, no, I think like that's not one of the major concerns. I just I think it's fear sometimes as well. So I mean, because they often they're gonna they'll say, Oh, you're gonna get an injection to take home. There's no like education around it, yeah. how you take it, what you do. They're kind of just given the stuff and then they go home. And a lot of them, even if they're given the insulin and they go home, they don't take it because they don't really know what to do with it and nobody's taught them. Wow. That's sad, isn't it? So yeah, I mean there's like there's really is two different levels of care. There's that the public health care, but in private it is completely different. It's more along the lines of what you guys would experience in America, just with a little bit less access to the technology that's available. You know, I don't, you know, from my limited interaction with type twos and I do have some, I don't know that that sounds that much different than what a lot of people with type two diabetes here experience either. It's, it's limited education, a, a small understanding um, a feeling like you don't want to use insulin. I have heard people say insulin felt like giving up. A lot of people say that here, you know, like, yeah. like they have it in their head that they can diet their way out of their type two diabetes. And if they're going to use insulin, it feels like they've given up on trying, uh, which is of course you can diet and use insulin at the same time. It's not a, a one doesn't <laughs> preclude the other, but I get the idea. I, I understand it. It is such a strange, I mean, honestly, most health issues that require more than take this pill in the morning and take this pill at night comes down to can you get the patient to put themselves in the doctor's shoes and make the 
the the kind of the bold idea that I'm going to be in charge now. I'm going to take care of this. I'm not going to lean on the doctor. The doctor's giving me, you know, what he's got. I'm going to go find out the rest. I'm going to start paying attention to my body, seeing what happens, making adjustments on my own, being a little, you know, aggressive and not scared. I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's a fixable thing that you just, you know, turn a dial or, you know, send some instructions out to every dietitian in South Africa and suddenly it's, it's fixed. It's, it really does lie with the person who has the disease, but it's got to be someone's job to impress upon them beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is the only thing they should be focused on until they figure it out. Because otherwise it's just going to, it's just going to impact the rest of their life. Yeah, I think so, like in our setting, um, there's also like a lot of misinformation given. I mean, I do also understand some of us like in our clinics and um, even in our hospitals, they doctors, nurses, severely short staff. They don't always have the time to sit with the patient. I do understand that. But I mean, as like patients get told they can't eat red apples, they can only eat green apples. They mustn't eat a banana ever again. And it is an illness, like your diabetes, that's very much related to sugar. So they, a lot of patients will feel, well, they'll tell me they don't eat any sugar, but they don't understand carbohydrates and yeah. how they impact the blood sugar levels. So they kind of get this sort of like brief, like don't eat sugar kind of message and take this pill and you're going to be fine and that's it. Yep. But yeah, it doesn't go further. The education part doesn't really go further than that. It's interesting. Do you have water ice there? The like slushy ice that's got flavors in it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, so there's a, puppies. a giant organization here. You know, I don't know how far across the country, but on the East Coast, it's a massive and they sell water ice at these little stands. And part yeah. of their sales pitch is it's fat free. And I always, I'm like, yeah, I mean, right until you put it in your body and your body goes, oh, sugar, what should I do with it? Hmm, I'll turn it into fat. <laughs> and it's the same idea with like, oh, I don't eat any sugar. You know, there's barely any sugar in bread. Okay. Y you know, and then the carbs, yeah. of course, have, you know, they don't understand. It is really difficult to, I don't know where that understanding has to happen. Like as you're talking, there's part of me that always thinks, what if you just draw a line and start over and everyone who's above a certain age, you're just going to miss them and there's nothing you can do about it, but at least you could fix how it happens moving forward. Like, do you spend more time in, you know, um, lower level schooling, you know, with younger children, explain that to them, but don't just yeah. say, Hey, sugar turns into fat or, you know, bread could be carbs too. Like you don't just do that. You say, and 10 years from now, when a friend of yours or you develop type 2 diabetes, this is going to be really important information to remember. Like, do you give them a little extra honesty and and so that it sticks in their head? Because, you know, I'm watching my daughter downstairs this morning doing geometry, and you know she's thinking, when am I ever going to use this in my life? <laughs> but if somebody said, listen, this geometry you're learning today, this is going to save your health 10 years from now. Really remember what you're being told here. Remember to come back to it. I this is, I don't know if this is going to sound connected or not. Do you have children? I don't have any children. Okay. No. <laughs> First of all, good job. Kids, dogs, <laughs> it's a lot of problems. But um, I, I find myself thinking, 
I should have started a diary when my kid was born. And every time I thought of something, wow, he's going to need to know this one day, I should have written it down. Yeah. Because I find myself learning things about life. Sometimes it's medical and sometimes it's not. And I think, well, now I know this. Like, he should get to stand on the shoulders of this idea, not have to figure it out for himself. And, you know, sometimes when it's not medically and, you know, related, you think, well, you know, it's good to figure things out on your own a little bit. But if you're really going to make a leap in something, you can't start in a hole. You have to start, you know, somebody's got to prop you up a little bit. And with medicine, it's just, it's super important. It's what I see with the podcast. You know, people come in Mm. completely lost and the podcast supercharges their idea of what's going on and it does it quickly so that they suddenly are lifted up and then they can they can start, you know, at least they're playing on a level playing field all of a sudden. But if you give someone diabetes and then give them all of the physical problems that come with it, especially, you know, uh, mental tiredness, your body feeling wrong, like, you know, all the stuff that you could be dizzy, yeah. all the stuff that could come with it. And then on top of them, tell them now live through this every day and don't forget to pull the pearls of wisdom out and don't forget them and don't forget how to, you know, apply them. It's, it really seems impossible without without help, without somebody to stand, you know, someone's shoulders to yeah. stand on. I don't know. It makes me, I really, I keep thinking about it like there's a way to handle it. I've been having type two conversations with people privately recently, and I just think there has to be a way to do for people with type two diabetes what the podcast does for people with type one diabetes. And um, I, I think it's doable. Mm-hmm. It just, it, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if I look at our context and like the patients I work with, so a lot of it's lower income patients. And in terms of diets, they tend to eat a high starch, high carb diet just because it's your foods that are easily available, accessible, they're cheaper. Um, so I think like from my side with the information I give, if I can relate because they only feel like sugar affects their blood sugar levels and they're not having sugar or, you know, they're not eating cakes or sweets or whatever. But I often, yeah, just to try and relate to them, that starch will also affect their blood sugar levels and they will eat very big portions of starch. So I think it's little things like we get them to cut down on their starch portions Um trying to include more vegetables in their diet. So, I mean, it really is like basic healthy eating. And uh, well, for myself, I never apply it just to the patient. I encourage them to apply it to their whole family because it's beneficial for everybody in the family and it's not specific information. Yeah. And then on the other spectrum in our private healthcare, I mean, you do also get people's perceptions. Like a lot of people only eat low carb or no carb. Um, yeah, so it, it really just depends where you are in society, I suppose, if you're lower income, middle income, high income, and what your perception on diet is as well. So, yes, it's, it, it is a little bit difficult, even in private, because those patients have more access to information, technology, stuff on the internet, and they don't really see a value of a dietitian sometimes as well because they're just going to follow whatever fad diets or et cetera that's out there at the time and what works for them. Right. Whatever Google and Instagram tell them to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My goodness. Well, that's so scary. Like 
for myself, I mean, I've never eaten a low carb diet. I eat carbs, I eat everything. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people like try and push that onto me. And I'm like, well, I don't really see the need for it. So hey, you're, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're it's doing very difficult. You're doing terrific. Um, what was, do you know back in when you were younger, what your A1Cs were like in your early 20s? Um, I think they were relatively fine. I think the highest A1C I had was about a 9% and I was battling. And after that, uh, that was when I started, well, was interested in getting an insulin pump. Um, and yeah, I think after that I got an insulin pump. So I th like, I think they've mostly ranged in the sixes and sevens, maybe low eights. And like, from what I can, the one I can remember has been 9%, which was the highest it had been. Right. And then, yeah, just, I needed to refocus and look at something different to help with the management. Hey, you used the word a second ago. I didn't hear. You said you were battling something. What were you battling? Um, I can't remember. Wow. You said I was battling. And then it sounded like you said like one of Spider-Man's like foes or something like that. I, I couldn't tell what you said. Like you swallowed a couple of letters and I couldn't hear them. And I was like, oh, what are you about? Okay. Never mind. I thought you were going to be like, oh, that was just this. But I don't know if it was, um, I really don't know. I'll listen. I don't know what I said. I'm sorry. I can't even remember. Don't don't worry. Listen, right here, when I'm editing the show, I'm going to go back and play it again and again for people. And we'll figure it out together instead of it, instead of you knowing. <laughs> It'll be fun. It'll be fun. You'll listen back one day and think, oh, that's what I was talking about. <laughs> um, it's really, it's very interesting that you have been through so many different insulin types and that you're kind of, you know, you have to mishmash your, your technology around. Like you have to get a Medtronic, you know, CGM because it's what's available that you're using a pump that, you know, obviously we, we don't have here any longer. Um, is there a way to attract companies to South Africa? Like, is there just not enough of a patient population there? Is it a distribution issue? Do you ever, do you know why some companies don't exist in some places, their, their products? Um, so we have access to, so obviously Electronic is here. Mm. That is the main company. Um, the AccuCheck pump is still available here. And then we do have access to Tandem and Dexcom as well. So that is available now as well. Okay. It's just not it's just not financially reasonable and nobody will back it up with coverage. Um, no, there's people. I mean, I'm sure there are people using it. The Dexcom, the sensors are a lot more expensive than your Medtronic sensors. So, mm -hmm. yeah. But there are people that definitely use it. Gotcha. Okay. I just, I mean, it's, it's one of those ideas. Like, I don't know how many, you know, what percentage of people you'd end up pulling out of the, out of the hole. But if you threw a Dexcom on everybody, they'd have at least a chance to figure out what was happening to them. Even, you know, especially type twos, honestly, the way you describe them. I, I know that more and more type twos are using glucose sensing technology, but that's for them, you know, to see what a banana does and not just, and not just have somebody tell you you can't have a banana anymore, um, you know, to to see how the, what impacts medications have and where insulin would be helpful for them if yeah. you know dieting's not working for them. Um, mm, yeah, I don't know. I, it's uh, it's a problem, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the other thing we do have access to is the Freestyle Libre. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and there was talk of people trying to motivate for that to be brought into the um, public health care facilities for the diabetics, but I think it's a very long shot to get that into our system. Gotcha. But it is available privately. Huh. If you wanted to, do you know the the political ramifications? Like if you wanted to petition someone to consider something like that, how do you how would you do that there? I'm not a hundred percent sure in public, but at the moment in our private sector, there is a a group of people, and I have participated where we've started a CGM for all campaign, um, and we are trying to engage with the medical aids to fund CGMs for type one diabetics. Hmm. That would be wonderful if you could do that. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's. Um, I've lived as a parent of a child with type one in both worlds. I've used not the really old insulin, but I've been, you know, just fast acting, slow acting in needles and, and a me- and a little meter. I've, I've done that for a number of years. Um, yeah. I, I lived through the beginning of CGM where it was, you know, they were definitely finding their way in the first, the first year or the first iteration of it was, I mean, still better than anything I'd ever seen, but nowhere near what it is now. And mm-hmm. what I'm assuming it's going to be is the generations keep pushing forward. And uh, this is the way to do it. There's, there's no doubt. Like this is, this technology is, is the gold standard for understanding what's happening inside of your body and making great decisions that keep you healthy and, and, and let you live, you know, the, the life you're supposed to. Uh, it's, um, it's really devastating to hear, especially with the, you know, there's going to continue to be an explosion of type two diabetes, and to know that for most people in in place in a lot of places, not just there, but here and in other countries that it's going to be, you know, that's what their life's going to turn into is a, either an uphill battle or, you know, an exercise in ignoring things and hoping it doesn't hurt them, which is of course not going to be the answer. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely, it's a very hard thing. Cause I mean, it is a lot of diabetes is a patient responsibility. I mean, you don't live with your doctor 24 hours a day. So a lot of your management is your responsibility and what you put into it. But yeah, I think the starting point to get there is to have a good solid education given to you by the healthcare workers or whoever gives the education. I think that's the starting point to motivate people because if you don't understand anything about diabetes or what's happening you don't really have that motivation to do anything about it yeah no and it's even that as you're saying that i'm thinking then you have to have a life that you that you want to be healthy to go live do you know what i mean and if you're if you're already struggling Mm. in other ways what's the you know what i mean like what's the excitement for you like oh i'm I'm gonna be healthier so i can go you know do my do my job over and over again that I don't enjoy that I, I feel like is just, you know, a task. And I don't know, it's, it's a, it's a bigger yeah. idea. Like how do you motivate I, yourself in that scenario? I suppose everybody has their own motivation, yeah. like something that must keep them going, whether it's your family, your job. I don't know. I'm yeah. sure everybody must have some sort of motivation in them to keep going. Yeah. No, I, I think so. I just, I think sometimes it doesn't feel, uh, when it doesn't feel doable, then 
you know, you know, we talked about this the other day. Um, when you don't, when you can't reach right into your mind and come up with an answer for something, and you don't know who to go ask, then there's that feeling that the answer doesn't exist, which yeah. it, which isn't true. It, it's somewhere. It's just you don't know how to get to it, and not knowing how to get to it is about the same as it not existing. Sometimes, mm. gee, Shirley, you're a bummer. Is there anything you? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, what what made you reach out? First of all, how did you find the podcast? I think on Instagram, I, through Instagram, and then I started listening to it. And it, how, it was it valuable for you, or is it just interesting to hear about people with diabetes? It is very valuable. I mean, the pro tip series that you do—that's really great. Um, and it's also just interesting to hear other people's stories. I'm glad. That's excellent. I, I Instagram is uh is is what I was guessing. I just wasn't I wasn't hundred percent certain. Now and now you've got me looking. I, I'm now interested to see how many people listen from South Africa. So I'm gonna look real quick, right? While you're here. Because that doesn't there can't be that many is what I'm thinking. Um because you found it, but yeah. There's a couple of thousand downloads this year. I guess that's not crazy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But that's uh it's just some people. Um it's uh, it's interesting when I see it pop up because I do look at, at at the downloads in Africa, and it's interesting where it'll pop up moving up into other countries. It's, it's very sparse, but there are just some countries right through the center that don't even have one download. Do they have no internet access in that central African? In that maybe part? not. Maybe not. Look at you. You're like I don't know. I'm not leaving South Africa. It's possible that they don't. I mean. I don't know what's in Central Africa. Is that like the Congo? Or, yeah, <laughs> a little north really of sure. Congo, a little north. Listen, let's talk about something real for a second. How many great white sharks have you seen? And uh, how many people do you know who have been eaten by one? None. Get out of here. That- <laughs> I've never seen one. I've never gone shark cage diving to see one. And I don't know anybody who's been eaten by one. I would never go in the water in South Africa. Although it looks beautiful. It's beautiful, right? Yeah, I mean, it depends where you go in South Africa. So, I mean, if you went to Cape Town, um, their water's really freezing cold. But in Durban, we have a much more warmer climate. Our water's much nicer and warmer. And and are am I right? Are our seasons, like what, what time of year is it there for you right now? So we are, I suppose, winter. But yeah. I mean, so where I live in Durban, winter's very, very mild. So it's not like if it gets to 20 degrees, uh, we're in Celsius. So if we get to like 20 degrees Celsius, we we wear our winter clothes because it doesn't get very cold here. That makes sense. But other areas of the country get colder than us. What about the, the summer times? Is it incredibly hot or what's it like? Yeah, very humid and hot. Humid. I hate the humid. Humid's my worst thing. Um, I also don't love the humidity. <laughs> I also actually don't. like Durban winters perfect. Yeah, it sounds like, like early spring. Three hundred and sixty-five days of the year. You would take that. I see. Yes. Um, have you ever traveled to other countries? Um, yes, I've been to America. So I've been to New York and um, to Colorado. I've been to Italy. I've been to France, and I've been to um, the United Kingdom. Wow, that's a lot of traveling. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> well, I used to think a little bit. You were you've been to four places I've never even considered 
I'd be in places I'd like to be that I've never thought. I, I wonder if, I know you said there's a, a, English isn't a first language, and you've heard the pro tips. So let me ask you this, and this isn't me trying to make something happen. I'm just generally uh, interested. If you, instead of, like you said, it's hard to see patients because it's so quick. If instead of, if instead of a quick 10 minutes, right, if you put 500 or 1,000 people with type 1 diabetes from South Africa in a room, and I jumped up on a stage and did a two-hour talk about some of those pro tips and got people into the mindset, and there was someone there translating for me, do you think that would move them forward? I'm not sure. So, like, I mean... In South Africa, we do actually have 11 official languages. Oh, dear God. Um, so where I live in Durban, or what's our province is KwaZulu-Natal, our language, I mean, obviously there's English, but there's also the main language spoken would also be Zulu. And direct translation is very, there's no real direct translation really between English and Zulu. So you can't translate word for word. So your two hour talk could take a very, very long time when so while somebody tries to translate into Zulu. I understand to try to get it out. Yeah. So I would need someone like you who understands what I'm saying. You need somebody who's speaks the local language to almost have their own understanding like of what I was to, already yeah, saying. Yeah, to be able to listen to something, have their own understanding, and then disseminate that information. Gotcha. So, it, for example, if you spoke Zulu, which you didn't say you did, so I'm assuming you don't, or you would totally be bragging and saying you did. And so if you did, and you really understood the pro tips, and I showed up and I said something, you could listen to what I said and then put it into context, because your brain, yeah. would, your brain would do the translation. Yeah, so I mean, I'd I don't speak Zulu fluently. I speak very limited. So, I, I mean, I wish I spoke it more fluently. But, um, yeah, so my limited words and things I can string together definitely wouldn't gotcha. help. It wouldn't help. But but somebody, all right, I, I just, I'm trying to imagine, like, how do you talk to people like that? And then they'd have to have the technology still. So what, I want to kind of finish up by asking you, what of the stuff that you heard in the pro tips have you been applying to people who don't have technology? What are you able to tell them? I haven't really used like your pro tips much in my work place. I mean, something I do like to speak to them about if they are on insulin is maybe the timing that they're taking the insulin because it's not often discussed. Sometimes they take the insulin home and they don't actually get told when to take it. They might take it after they've eaten. They might take it just when they eat. So that's something I do discuss. Um, the only other thing I really also discuss with patients is um, the injection sites, trying to make sure they're rotating injection sites because that's also something that not really discussed with them or they're not really told about. Okay. Um, but also in terms of um, the way we work and our like professional regulating bodies, as a dietitian, we are technically only allowed to educate in terms of diet. Everything else is actually out of our scope of practice. 
So, I mean, I do give brief information, but that's just mainly from my own knowledge. But It would have to be an actual physician who said, this is how you use the insulin. No one else is allowed to say yeah, that. Yeah, so I don't really speak to them about dosing. I don't... I, I can't recommend adjusting dosing. I have to say that I have to go back to the doctor mm. and ask the doctor to look at those things. Even though, I mean, sometimes maybe I could see it for myself that they need to adjust their doses or change something. I can't really give them advice to do that. Gotcha. Wow. What's your favorite Charlie's Theron movie? Quick. Oh, geez. I, I don't even know. Unbelievable. I You're not following her. She's not, I've watched with her. She's not like your Brad Pitt or anything like that. You guys aren't like she made it. Nothing. All right. I see. Uh, uh, yeah, she made it. <laughs> she seems so like far removed. Are all women in South Africa tall and blonde or no? Well, I don't think I'm very tall, but I do have blonde hair. Okay. I don't think I'm very tall. What is not very tall? All I'm like 1.6 meters. I have no context for that. That's hilarious. In I, my mind now. I can't now, really tell you in feet because I have no context of, I, I only know the metric system. <laughs> I'm going to find out because right now in my mind, right now in my mind, you're like, you're just as tall as like a baby in my mind. <laughs> so, <laughs> So you're like five feet and a quarter inches. I got you. Okay. All right. You're right. You're not that tall. <laughs> yeah, I'm not that tall. It's okay. So, so no, we're not all tall and blonde. All right. I was just wondering, is there um any type one in your family? Like, was this, Do you, are there a lot of people who have type one? Or are you the only one? No. So when I was diagnosed, yeah, I pretty much was the only, yeah, well, I am still the only one. Um, my dad's family, so my dad's actually Welsh, so he's from Wales. Um, and then after my diagnosis, when he spoke to one of his sisters back home, um, she said she could remember their grandmother um, taking insulin. Mm. So possibly, it would. I think that would have been my great-grandmother. Um, so she's about 20 years older than my dad, but she remembers – her their grandmother taking insulin and like boiling the syringes and that kind of thing okay wow but otherwise no there's that's, no one that's else. the only connection so you really are on your own to to do this and figure things out and extra because you're you're living somewhere were you born in south africa yes okay so your dad was from some was your dad from somewhere else or yeah my dad's um from wales from wales and he made it that uh, to south africa and then started a family there which yes. is why you're blonde but short. <laughs> is that right? Is your mom from South Africa originally? Uh, yes, my mom's from South Africa. Yeah, I figured it out already. That's right. You got the blonde from your mom and the short from your dad. Am I wrong? No, my mom's actually got dark hair. My dad was the blonde one. Have you ever considered just agreeing with me, Shirley? So it seems like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> huh? I mean, really, would it have been that? We're at the end of the episode. You could have really made me seem like a genius and been like, oh, oh my God, Scott, you figured it out. It's amazing now. Obviously, I uh, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, <laughs> but uh, you you have um, you've painted a really interesting picture that I think people should should wrap their minds around a little bit. That you know, I I, I see people here, and there are certainly people in America who are in you know just similar situations financially and with their ability to get insulin, uh, especially and and technology for sure. Um, and then there are people who, you know, like us are just, you know, we're able to get this stuff because we have the insurance. I mean, if we lost our insurance tomorrow, it would be 
out of reach. Um, mm. But it's interesting um, that the problems don't change from place to place. The idea of, you know, not having the right education, not having the right understanding, then the tools, it's, it's a, it's a worldwide problem. You would think it would be, uh, since it's such a similar problem from place to place to place, you would think it would be something that would be fixable. But I guess in the end, it just really does come down to money and who's going to pay for it. So, yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, I think every, I suppose every country in some way has the, has similar situations, similar problems. Some people have access, some people don't. So it's not only one place in the world that has the problems. I think we all have similar problems. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I wish it could be fixable. And I mean, there's, I think there are plenty of ways it could be fixed. I think strengthening public healthcare services, um, having programs in place because, yeah, programs do actually work in public healthcare. We have other programs for other conditions and things that actually do work. And um, yeah, so having a specific program in place could be something that could work for the public health care as well. Yeah. I hear crickets in the background. It's very relaxing. Are you outside? No, my window is just open. Just open. It's just, it's, I'm like, it's just making me very happy. I'm like, oh, it's lovely. In my mind, you're in the Serengeti. I know you're not, but if you could just let that be like that, I would appreciate it. Thank you. Mm, there's <laughs> no just... lions outside my door. <laughs> I mean that you know of. Uh, <laughs> was a uh, a bear walking through my town the other day, and trust me, that's not something that normally happens. I think. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah. I think everybody stayed inside for so long because of uh, COVID nineteen that the bears were like, "Huh, I wonder how far we could get." Uh, how? <laughs> let me finish by asking you: Has coronavirus been very impactful there? Um. Yeah. So we got our first case cases in March, which came from people that had traveled. Well, I mean, those are the cases that were tested and they came back from people that traveled in Italy. Mm -hmm. But I mean, for honestly, we actually don't, I don't think you know when it actually entered the country. Um, we were put on, by the end of March, we were put on to, it was meant to be a three-week lockdown, very strict lockdown, just essential services and then basically staying at home. You couldn't go anywhere and except to buy food or access medical care mm -hmm. that was extended for a further two weeks so, and then um in the beginning of may i think we went to what we've called level four lockdown which then we were allowed to exercise between six and nine in the morning and yeah that was about it and then from monday which was the first of june we now on what we're calling level three everybody's gone back to work and Basically, they've asked us to stay home as much as possible, only go out for essentials. In our strict lockdown, alcohol was prohibited, so there were no sales of alcohol. That opened on the 1st of June, so everybody flocked out to buy alcohol. And cigarettes have still been prohibited. There's no sale of cigarettes. And, yeah, that's where we are at the moment. I found it odd here that they um, we made we – made, um, alcohol an essential thing so a liquor store was essential uh and they stayed open but they closed um meetings so like there was no aa meetings no alcoholics anonymous meetings so i was like <laughs> that's not that doesn't seem balanced um and 
But it does, it did really tell you, like, I think they're like, oh, we're going to lock all these people in their houses. We better at least give them booze because. <laughs> yeah, shame. We got no booze at all. <laughs> well, <laughs> only what you stocked up and people thought it was only for three weeks. So, yeah, they oh. were, weren't very happy. Most people have been home brewing their own beer. Um, but, yeah, I think sustainability of the lockdown, especially in our country financially, we couldn't sustain it. So, they have allowed everyone to go back to work now, but it's already created great job loss. Um, no, it's had horrible. a major financial impact on our country. So, yeah, we're going to have to try and recover from that. Yeah. And then in terms of like our numbers, I think we're sitting on 30-odd thousand people, at least 50% recovery rate so far. And I think our death rate is sitting about 2%. Hmm. I know I with the unemployment, I, I don't even think you – people know the full extent of it yet like there are people right now in america who are home who are like oh when this all is over i'm i'll go back to work except they're going to go back and their job's not going to exist because the company's yeah, not going to exist. exist you know unfortunately i mean it's not only for us i don't think any country can sustain these lockdowns yeah I, that's just really not sustainable ah. like financially it's not sustainable and there's a lot of criticism about lockdowns should we be locking down shouldn't we there's criticism about, so we have to now wear masks if you're out in public, exercising, anything like that. Right. Um, supposedly supposed to practice social distancing, but that's just up to an individual if you do it or not. We're still not allowed to, well, we're not supposed to visit family. So, yeah. It's, and I haven't seen my lots mother. Lots of things. I have are. not seen my mother in like four months. And I was talking to her last night, and she's in her mid-70s. And I started thinking, yeah. like, you know, at what point are we protecting her body and breaking her mind? You, you know, like, i got to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult. And I, I do think for the elderly, it's actually not good for them to be isolated from people. Like, mm. it's just, well, not just the elderly, for anybody to sit isolated by yourself, especially if you live alone or something like that it's it's not good for you yeah it gets to be too we much overwhelming. To have interaction with humans 100 <laughs> percent. i uh i i could use a hug once in a while so um <laughs> all right well surely i know it's what time is it there by the way it is almost 20 past six in the evening wow that's lovely sounds very nice well i i um i really appreciate you reaching out and doing this and taking the time um and adding another perspective uh to you know to the the chorus of, of episodes. And, uh, you know, I appreciate this very much. Thank you for, for finding the show and for, and for wanting to add to it. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for having me as well. Oh, it was a pleasure. It really was a huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke hypopen at gvokeglucagoncom forward slash juice box. You spell that G V O K E G L U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. Thanks also to the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Check it out at contournext.com forward slash juice box. And don't forget that you could bring real advancements to type 1 diabetes by just going to the T1D exchange at t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box and joining the registry. Was anyone else really bummed out that Shirley had never seen a great white shark? <laughs>